1: Cyberbit is offering Cyberwire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. Microsoft discloses a fancy bear sighting snuffling around Atlantis's think tanks in Europe. Ukraine says, in effect, see, we told you so. Speaking of bears, it seems that North Korea's hidden cobra may be striking at the biggest bear of them all, going after Russian targets. There's a new decryptor available for Gand Crab ransomware, Citizen Lab and NSO Group's new partial owner exchange notes, and a look at a ransomware help desk. From the CyberWire Studios at Data Tribe I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Wednesday, February 20th, 2019. Microsoft this morning said it had discovered another Russian cyber operation targeting think tanks critical of Moscow. The attacks occurred between this past September and December. Microsoft says it warned the affected institutions and the appropriate governments and that it also took unspecified technical measures to put a stop to the attacks. The institutions Redmond says were hit include the German Council on Foreign Relations, European branches of the Aspen Institute, and the German Marshall Fund, so there's a clear Atlanticist flavor to the target list. The method of attacks was spearfishing, and the hook was a link to a malicious website. The spearfishers are said to have been from APT28, or Strontium, as Microsoft prefers to call them, We'll continue to call them Fancy Bear, but whatever the name, it's Russia's GRU military intelligence service. It's not clear from Microsoft's blog exactly what measures it took against the spearfishing. In an early wave of Fancy Bear attacks prior to the U.S. midterm elections, Redmond had obtained appropriate legal authority to take down the offending domains used in the campaign. In what the company at the time called a novel legal move, Microsoft had successfully argued that spoofing of the kind observed was a violation of its intellectual property rights, got a court order to transfer the domain names to its own servers, and then shut the sites down. As the Washington Post points out, Redmond doesn't seem to have done that for the present wave of spear phishing, and the company declined to say why not. In any case, Microsoft has extended its account guard security system into 12 new European markets. Fancy Bear's goal appears to be influencing European elections, both upcoming national elections and the EU elections scheduled for May. Microsoft notes that its findings would seem to confirm alarms raised in many European governments. Ukraine has been particularly explicit in its concerns. That country's National Security and Defense Council announced yesterday that it will undertake joint cyber-defense exercises with EU partners in the near future. The announcement was accompanied by charges that Russian hacking and influence operations have risen unabated as Ukraine's March 31st presidential election approaches. Moscow may sometimes be a victim, too. Security firm Checkpoint says, with appropriate exclamation and question marks in the heading of its announcement, that it's detected signs that North Korea's Lazarus Group, also known by its animal name Hidden Cobra, is turning its attentions to Russia. Checkpoint's researchers point out that there are two apparent subgroups to Lazarus, and Dariel, which attends closely to South Korean government agencies and other South Korean organizations, and then, which focuses primarily on attacking the South Korean government and organizations, and the second, Blunaroth, which works against other cyber espionage targets and, most importantly, against targets where attacks can be monetized. Cybercrime has long been one of Pyongyang's approaches to redressing the chronic financial pain it feels as a pariah state laboring under extensive international sanctions. Checkpoint found a familiar and versatile Lazarus backdoor, key marble, to use the name U.S. cert gave it, carried by malicious PDFs or Microsoft Office files crafted for Russian intelligence. Cyrillic-looking characters were used in images to bait recipients into enabling content— thereby triggering the malicious code. On balance, the campaign is unusual because it doesn't appear to reflect geopolitical tensions, which have usually accompanied even North Korean financially motivated campaigns. To be sure, North Korea has plenty of tension with just about everyone, and is no longer anyone's client state, but it's got fewer such tensions with Russia than it does with most others. Perhaps there are tensions present that aren't obvious to outsiders. There are a growing number of ISACs, which stands for Information Sharing and Analysis Center, serving organizations in a variety of sectors. Tommy McDowell is vice president at the Retail Cyber Intelligence Sharing Center, or RSIC, a member organization serving the retail and hospitality industries.
0: You know, we provide the technical and community so that our members can share information about cybersecurity. Uh, threat intelligence, uh, breach information, best practices. A lot of our members come from uh, gaming organizations as well as in hospitality, consumer product manufacturers, hotels, restaurants, and we also have other cybersecurity partners around the world. So what are some of the
1: specific vulnerabilities that folks in your vertical have to deal with?
0: You know, we we really deal with uh, a top three threat vector and, and and top three threats to our industry. And most of these are all through email. Uh, Everything from ransomware to account takeover to credential harvesting. Also, any threats facing point-of-sale systems are the e-commerce ecosystem, all the way from the credit card readers, all the way back to the e-commerce system as, as well. Most of our members, when they experience breaches at some stage of that notification investigation process, they will let our community know of the breach and of the techniques employed by the actors. In most cases, in many cases, there are legal restrictions as to what can and cannot be released. Luckily, because you participate with a community such as ours, they may not acknowledge the breach, they may not uh, give uh, details as far as the amount of loss or exactly what we lost, but they're more than willing to let us know what the techniques are so that they can protect other companies and other systems all in this sector.
1: So you you sort of serve it as this central clearinghouse and and repository to gather these things, but then also uh, distribute them out to to folks to help uh, alert everyone and help
0: keep them safe. Not only just keep them safe, the knowledge of the breach, but also what are the best practices? What techniques are working? A large number of vendors have similar type systems, but there's always variation. And where you may have a vendor coming out with a patch or workaround, what we get from our community is the experience of on the ground implementation of those patches and the configuration issues that come up and what remediation steps have to take place. So you have this instant community of people involved in one or two key instances and be able to give really good lively feedback, you know, based on their availability, which for the most part, we have a large number available at any given time. Uh, even if they're not a member, You know, in many cases we'll reach out to that, that agency. Uh, or if we learn of an attack or a vulnerability, or even if we see something on the like dark web being sold that uh, you know addresses a retailer, even if they're not a member, in many cases we reach out and let them know. So we have a lot of relationships with various uh, other threat intelligence companies as well as other agencies that just aren't members. And yet we do try to keep them abreast of of the latest attacks and threats as they're as they're evolving. One of the things we've learned over the last year or two, is to be able to stand up a fully fledged threat intelligence program is pretty challenging so what we've been able to do is to identify two or three key behaviors that a small company could do that would be activities a threat intelligence group would perform but you don't have to have the full program to get the benefit of that so it is a community and it is one that shares openly our level of engagement has increased tremendously over the last couple of years i think that's largely because the amount of trust we build and and emphasize inside this group. I mean, sharing vulnerability information and information that you've been breached with a community. And by the way, these are retailers that often compete with each other. So there has to be this level of trust created. And I have to say, I've seen a lot of really good people step forward.
1: That's Tommy McDowell from the Retail Cyber Intelligence Sharing Center, the RSIC. A decryptor is now available for GandCrab ransomware's version 5.1, bleeping computer reports. The fix by Bitdefender, Romanian Police, Europol, and other law enforcement partners is also effective against some earlier versions. There are, however, already signs that GandCrab version 5.2 is beginning to circulate in the wild. But in the meantime, bravo Bitdefender and colleagues. An exchange of letters between Citizen Lab and Novalpina outline the suspicions that persist around NSO Group. Novalpina Capital, the private equity firm that backed the recent reacquisition of NSO Group by its founders, said in their letter to Citizen Lab that they and the new owners were committed to greater transparency and that they welcomed dialogue with those with concerns about the company's business. Novalpina alluded to the safeguards that were now in place, and that were, it said, sufficient to make Novalpina comfortable with owning a stake in NSO Group. Citizen Lab, after expressing its appreciation for Novalpina's gesture of transparency, offered a long list of questions, answers to which it said would go a long way toward producing such transparency. They come down to two sets of concerns. Citizen Lab would like to know more about the extensive due diligence Novalpina undertook before its purchase of NSO Group, and what criteria were employed to determine that NSO Group operates with integrity and caution. The other concerns centered around Citizen Lab's study of how various repressive regimes have used NSO Group's intercept products in less-than-lawful ways, and in ways that Citizen Lab says put NSO Groups on the wrong side of the UN guiding principles on business and human rights. Among other things, Citizen Lab would like to know what remediation has been undertaken for past issues and what grievance procedure NSO Group has in place to address other issues that may arise. Amnesty International and six partners also weighed in, thanking Novolpina for the opportunity to discuss transparency and calling upon the investors to commit to eight specific undertakings. That letter specifically called out the misuse of NSO products by the government of Mexico, earlier Citizen Lab research reported. Amnesty and its partners also showed particular concern for the use of intercept technology against reporters. And finally, pop quiz, hotshot. What criminal sector provides its own help desk? The mob? Nope. The Chicago outfit? Nope and nope. Cyber gangs? Ah, there you go. Especially the ransomware hoods. They offer a help desk whose help is to help the victim pay the extortionists. Ryuk Ransomware, for example, according to No More Ransom Initiative Partner coverware, does just that. But when it comes to the help you get, some victims are more equal than others. There are two notes Ryuk victims might get. One of them is blunt, unpolished, and crude. That help note comes with a lower ransom demand. Still, a hefty 15 to 35 bitcoin which at the high end comes to around $224,000, but lower than the demand associated with the longer, friendlier, better-written note that asks you for around 50 Bitcoin and change, somewhere around $320,000. HelpNet Security speculates that either the help desk was having a bad day when it used the curt text, or that the subtext under the niceness of the more polished note was that the crooks were reasonable and willing to negotiate. In either case, the help, as the kids say, sucks. The decryptor is buggy and just about as likely to destroy your files as recover them. Better to back up early and often and offline so you don't have to deal with Ryuk help. And I'm pleased to be joined once again by Mike Benjamin. He's the Senior Director of Threat Research at CenturyLink. Mike, it's great to have you back. Um, We wanted to dig into uh, another one of the botnets that you all have been tracking there, and that is Neckers. What do you have to uh, update us with here today?
2: Yeah, thanks, Dave. So Neckers, for those that aren't familiar with it, it's, it's actually quite a few years old, and it's a spam botnet. It has sent just about every type of spam you can imagine during its lifetime, Uh, And I was on the show a few months ago and mentioned one of the unique attributes that we were seeing about Neckers was that it was shutting itself off on a periodic interval. And and what I meant by that was that the command and control host of certain aspects of the botnet, and so this botnet uh, has about three different chunks, which are DGA seeds. And so we track them as individual uh, entities, and sometimes they're actually delivered different payloads or different uh, attack commands. But each DGA seed shuts itself off at the c2 level and so what we've been seeing over the last few weeks is that it is shutting itself off against all dga seeds for eight days at a time coming back on for less than a day delivering all its spam all its junk whatever the uh, focus was for that particular campaign and then shutting itself off again and Hmm. so from a defender perspective this is particularly interesting because it calls back to DGA when it can't reach its C2s. It's a lot louder during the periods that it can't find the C2s than when it can. Okay. And so this is a great way to detect it within an environment. The campaigns that we've seen recently, um, two of them are, are very common with what we've seen Neckers do in the past. They've uh, been deploying secondary payloads of uh, a variety of families of remote access Trojans. So they've been delivering rats as well as ransomware. Uh, nothing new there. But one of the things that we saw a couple months ago, a lot of us all unfortunately saw in our inboxes um, what, what people deemed these sextortion emails mm. where they were claiming to have dirt on the individual and asking for uh, you know, upwards, of in some cases, of a couple hundred dollars worth of Bitcoin to be delivered um, to the cryptocurrency wallet. Right. And this was pretty rampant, got a lot of press, and if you look back now at the wallets that were being utilized during that time period, they made some money you know tens of thousands of dollars were successfully gleaned from this yeah. and we were able to track that in, in many cases being delivered through neckers certainly not neckers alone was the vector utilized
1: oh interesting now now do you have any uh, insights on this pattern that it shows this you know going dark for days at a time any guesses on what the strategy there is
2: well in some cases this from an infection perspective means that it changes that the infrastructure is not live at the moment that they're not using it. And we've seen this in different malware families where the actors believe that by shutting off their own control infrastructure, they may be able to evade takedowns as well as evade certain detection techniques. And I'd argue from a network perspective, that's not effective, but maybe in some corners of the world and in some uh, defense cases, that is effective. Hmm. Uh, One of the the other things that we see that's interesting um, about the The behavior uh, I I find this interesting is we see a lot of actors out there sending their spam in one language, or uh, you know maybe if they've got a ransomware landing page, they've translated it to a couple languages. But we've actually seen through Neckers they're beginning to to be more and more effective with language localization, where they are targeting a part of the world in the native tongue of that part of the world to be more effective in the campaign that they're delivering malware from, and so uh, you know there's always the conversation in our team that maybe they need that extra few days just to be more targeted and, and translate some campaign language. And that, that's why they're shutting their stuff down.
0: Hmm.
1: Interesting. All right. Well, thanks for uh, sharing the update with us. Mike Benjamin, thanks for joining us. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers,